Whether you've been a subscriber or listener to Monocle for 10 years or 10 weeks, you'll know that we have strong links to Switzerland. After all, we're headquartered here. In the latest edition of Monocle magazine, we shine a well-deserved spotlight on many of those who are leading the nation across a variety of businesses, ministries, and city halls. One figure we were honored to sit down with for our January-February edition was Swiss President Simonetta Sommaruga. A member of the Swiss Federal Council since 2010, Sommaruga has previously served as president and, here's a fun fact, ranks as one of the highest paid leaders in the world. To distill Switzerland's federal leadership in its simplest form, think of a nation that's run more like a company with seven generally long-serving board members swapping in and out of the post of chairman. It's this unique structure that gives Switzerland such an enviable position of stability. We sat down with Madame Sommaruga in her office across from Switzerland's parliament to discuss the past year, Switzerland's middle-way approach to the pandemic, and her nation's ambitions for a seat on the UN Security Council. I'm Tyler Brule, and today we head to Bern for the return of the Chiefs on Monocle 24. If we were to give ourselves a report card right now, an interim set of grades for how you think both the Federal Council, government at the federal level has performed, but also the Swiss citizens as well. Could you give yourself a ranking right now? Do you think it's we're middle ground? Would you say that citizenship has been upstanding? Because, of course, we had some very, very strong words uh, and we're at a very critical point right now. I think it's not my role to give report cards to, to anybody. What I can say is that in the beginning and also during this, this crisis, in, in the first part, it was a huge solidarity really extraordinary. People helped each other. They wanted to have this this country go this way together. Surprising for you at that time to see that level of solidarity? If you would look back or looking back now, did you think, yeah, people might be sort of diverting at the sides? But I'm wondering, did you really think, yes, people will really be in this? Well, we didn't have that situation before. I could not say how it will be. You do not know how people react in, in such a situation of insecurity a virus you have never seen, you don't know very little about it. So you know very little how, as well how, how population will, will react and do they really follow. So I think that this kind of solidarity was really, I wouldn't give a, a note on that, but I would say that it, it was wonderful. Of course, then people wanted to have their freedom again. There was very much pressure to, to open and Switzerland opened quite fast again. And now we are in a situation again of insecurity. And uh, I think it's another situation because we know more about the virus. We know, have more experience. And still, I think there is a, a huge insecurity. And what my aim is, it is also in this time now, we are now in with the government. Again, we, we try to find a power and an orientation. Of course, I think for every government, this situation where, where people get a little bit tired of these, all these measures, to give the orientation again, it's, it's a new challenge. It's another challenge than in, in, in March, I think. But our system still is there so that we have this government with all the different opinions. We try to put them together to find consensus and uh, to communicate. How much benchmarking is done day to day? Because when you look across borders, obviously your ambassadors and, and of course people in Bern are talking to other capitals. But how much of it is it we have to do the Swiss way versus we have lessons from Berlin to learn. We might look to Vienna. We might look to Rome or to maybe not to Washington. 
But yes, I'm wondering sort of day to day how much of an active exchange because everyone is still finding their way despite, yes, we are a little bit smarter than we were back in March, but not much. Well, I think it's extremely important to be really in, in the direct contact, to discuss, to see, to learn from each other. But at the same time, I think each country has to find also its own way. I think in, in Switzerland for quite some months now, we had the, the measures taken. It was very important that people can understand why this measure is taken now and not the other one. I think that goes on to be really a challenge because our country does not do this kind of things by pressure. It's not the first thing we, we say when, for example, government said that it's obligation to have masks in the public transport. We said there's no, there's no fine. It's not to punish people, but we want to understand people how it's, it's, it's important. And we would like to, to go on like that. And I think this is how our country works and I very much insist on all the things that functioned very well because I think in this situation for people it's extremely important to be sure the schools, the post office, public transport, it goes on and not only in the cities but in also in the in the countryside and that we have this cohesion also in a in a crisis and the cohesion at the same time helps us in the crisis because there is something like a ground we can count on. The state does not leave us just alone. And this kind of cohesion, I think this is really something for me, it's extremely important for our country. And we work on that and we invest quite a lot. But I think this is maybe one of the strengths of Switzerland, which is more than maybe economic strength. You mentioned the word cohesion. And I'm fascinated by this because did it need a crisis to also challenge federalism in a way, because we saw on, on many levels, and of course this is the pluses, the minuses of federalism, that now there's maybe a realization that some things are not as connected as we would have liked. And now we stand back from it and think whether it is hospital or can the Canton's medical system speaking to each other in a better way. We saw that now Rega will step in as an organization to, of course, hopefully ease capacity at hospitals. So do you think that, of course, we don't want to give credit to a virus, of course not, but have there been lessons in federalism, good and bad, out of this? And will we see maybe new, new steps in terms of a different type of relationship coming out of this? Well, first, I would say this, this sense of cohesion, this is not new. This is something, I mean, in Switzerland, we are really the country of the minorities, Every one of us is in a minority, from the language, the religion, the political party, cultural, also politically, when we have a referendum, for we vote four times a year. And I think every one of us is on one Sunday of a referendum, we are in the minority. There's no party which is always in the majority. So even I think this sense for minority helps us to have the sense that it's not enough that I look for me and I'm living in Zurich and so for me it's fine. So I think that that helps us also in the crisis. Of course, federalism is also, as from my point of view, something which is really a strength of Switzerland because it helps us. You have an idea in one canton, you can do it. You don't have to wait until everybody asks for that. So we have really this, this laboratory situation. In the pandemic situation... I think this 
in the beginning, of course, there was the federal council who had to take the decisions. And now we are in this situation, we have to learn where is federalism still very positive because it helps us to take the decisions very close and very specific and very fast. And at the same time, I think in a pandemic where the changes can be so fast and the decisions sometimes have to be taken so fast that there we see now we, we say this is a stress test for federalism. And I think that the last days were very interesting or the last weeks. It shows that even federalism, which is very strong, but we can be very pragmatic on that. At one moment we say, okay, federalism, this is great. But now the cantons come and ask federal council to take a decision. So it's also part of federalism that the cantons can ask the central government or the government to take decisions which concerns them. So I think federalism is not only, and this is maybe an, a little bit another point of federalism that until now we say federalism means everybody can do as he likes. And now it's also that federalism means that cantons can also ask government to act for them. Let's move from the cantons and let's look externally now. Uh, and if we cast our eye around the world for your colleagues, of course, in the Department of Foreign Affairs and, of course, many other departments as well, how difficult has it been to maintain relationships with Madrid, to maintain relations with Ottawa or, or Canberra in this time? Well, when you cannot see each other, if you cannot travel, of course, I mean, this is part of, of diplomatic exchange. I can say for my, because in Switzerland, the president, one of the tasks of the president is also to represent our country abroad. So it was almost not possible to go abroad. So how do you do that? I had a telephone diplomacy. I made a lot of phone calls with the colleagues I knew for a long time already, but also with colleagues that I have never seen. Do you prefer an old-fashioned phone call rather than a video call? I'm, I'm intrigued because I, I prefer just a voice. I don't need to see everybody necessarily because sometimes I feel there's a nuance that you can hear. Yes, I am a musician, so I can listen. I like to hear the voice. It can be a very intimate situation, just a voice, not to look at. But I had also a video conference, only we, we two, uh, with Chancellor Merkel. We know each other, so we were both at the table and suddenly we almost forgot a little bit that it was by video because really the way you have your hands, you laugh. Because I wanted to see her, we had a lunch together and instead of the lunch, at the same moment, we did this uh, video conference. But usually I think a phone call gives really uh, somehow uh, an intimate atmosphere which you are very much concentrated on what you're saying and the voice. So I, I like that. But I was very glad. To, I had one of my first travel I did to Ukraine. Switzerland is very much engaged in Ukraine. And I, I will never forget that because I was calling the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, in March. I wanted to travel. I couldn't at that moment. We had to postpone. But he, he asked me if Switzerland could help them to have uh, more ventilators. So, uh, well, I said, OK, well, let's see what we can do. And then there was a Swiss high school, ETH. They developed a ventilator to produce cheap but well-functioning. And they had an exchange with Ukraine. And when I went to Ukraine at the end of July, there was a cooperation between ETH and Ukraine. And they presented me the first ventilator produced in Ukraine. 
for me, this was really wonderful to see how, how countries can work together also in this situation. At the same time, going to Ukraine was important for me. I mean, we were all Corona, everything Corona, but we have a country in Europe where there is a war. And I went together with the president of Ukraine to the eastern part of Ukraine. We went in this part where Switzerland is very much engaged. They produce uh, drinking water for more than 4 million people in eastern Ukraine. And we went there together. And I thought that it's important also, Corona is so heavy, but at the same time, do not forget that there are other situations. Do not forget people living there. They have beside Corona the war. And I'm very glad I could do that because I, I think we should not forget we have the climate crisis. And for me, it was always important, also with my international contacts, to really concentrate, of course, of, on Corona, but not forget the other. This is, in many ways, the problems of our time. I was speaking to Peter Maurer about this as well, that conflicts have not disappeared. Mm -hmm. But of course, there is only so many minutes in a newscast. There are only so many pages in a newspaper. And the story of the day tends to dominate. Do you worry about an erosion right now, I mean, multilateralism uh, in these times where we, we sit, many say it's under threat. And if we sort of carry on where we can only have telephone diplomacy, etc., when so many people say to do proper diplomacy, we need to be face to face, we need to be across the table. Do you concern yourself as you look towards even 2021? Because this culture of just kicking things off at the distance now seems almost quite easy because Many believe we can, of course, do with digital devices, but many will also say that you don't really reach resolution over a Zoom call. I think that people have to see each other to really have good discussions to approach. There are many things to look at with a certain worry. Of course, this kind, when, when people cannot get into contact and not see each other, what does that mean? What does it do with people? All the questions of information for me, something very important. We saw that in our country during this crisis in, in, in March, people used very much newspapers, television, extremely important. Really, you could see that people were so glad that they have credible news, where they can be sure that there is no manipulation, that they have the equality also. And at the same time, we see that uh, there are more and more countries which uh, try to manipulate to the freedom of expression is, is, is going to be reduced. And uh, this is why I made together with uh, Madame Bachelet, we make a conference in Geneva where we talked about the freedom of expression and, and freedom for the, for the media. We had testimonials. And I think this was really, for me, an extremely important moment that we, we just also in this, in this moment where people need this news and uh, that we have more sensitivity or more... And more empathy as yes. well. Empathy, but also that we are aware what's going on and uh, how critical it is when, when the free expression, but also the kind of information people can get, it's getting really in danger. Do you think Switzerland can play even a bigger role in this territory. So home of the, the ICRC, many NGOs, of course, many international organizations. And as you said, we have a problem with verification of news. Uh, we have a problem with authenticity today and a great crisis in just respect for journalism. 
more journalists under threat, killed, threatened, probably than ever before. And I sort of think about it in a way where everyone gets so excited about digital society, but there's an indecency about it as well. Everyone talks about trying to put the genie back into the bottle because things have gone so crazy with social media. Could Switzerland play a role? Does there need to be a new international institution? If you can have one institution, I'm not sure at the moment, but I think that we are aware that free media and also to have really professional news is part of the infrastructure of every democracy. This, I think this is maybe not evident enough for many of us. And well, I'm a minister of media, of communication as well. I We have these structural difficulties for media because there are, well, there's no money for that. People do not pay for that because they think that this thing is free. And I think that this is one part of the problem that really I want that the media get more finance and at the same time to have their complete independence. So I have really an amendment now in, in Parliament which guarantees the independence of media, but they get more money. But this is one part, and the other part is where really politicians used media or, or reduced the freedom of expression. And there, I think, it's part of a whole system, and it's part of a system to, to have no democracy, no freedom of expression, human rights. And there, what I can say is Switzerland is very strong, committed to international law, to rule of law. We work for that, we insist on that, and we try to do that together with others. And of course, that has to be as well. Or maybe we should take more into account that that means also freedom of expression and have this kind of information. If someone comes to, to Switzerland as a newcomer, someone who's welcomed uh, to Switzerland as a migrant, do you think that's also understood? Is that also part of the core in terms of integrating people into the country? That there's also this understanding that freedom of expression, freedom of the press, and that this is not just down to the teacher in the school, but this is also down to understanding the value of Schweizer Fernsehen, for example. Does that understanding exist? Because I think this is maybe a problem we're seeing in a time of political correctness, that people come from all over the world into European nations, other nations, and maybe is this sense of expression, I mean, really, I'm not saying ingrained, uh, but is at least presented as a fundamental as to why someone and why that nation, let's say, is also attractive. Mm -hmm. Well, I would speak about the integration of people coming to our country. For eight years, I was Minister of Migration. And I think in this eight years, what we did most was really to invest on integration. And integration is not adaption, that everybody has to be the best Swiss of all, but to understand how our country works, but also to give the people the possibility to integrate. I mean, we invest a lot on, on learning the language as soon as possible. And what I said about this country, that our vision is that we look for people, not, but not protecting them and like nursing, but to give the chance to be a part and a full member of this society. And I think this is the most important thing. And I never wanted to, be a, or to have a country that invites everybody to come. But then just look for yourself and then you have all these kind of, of bon dieu and parallel uh, societies. But to say, okay, people can come, they work here, but those who are here, they really, we give them the possibility to integrate, but they have also to do something. 
I think this is something Switzerland is really strong, but we invest a lot and it's hard work because for a long time there are those who said this is kind of adaption, everybody has to become a Christian. No, it's not that. And the others said we, we spent so much money for them, this is incredible, they should help themselves. And for me, it was always clear this is also for the cohesion of our country, that people who live here, and Switzerland has now maybe 24% of foreigners living in this country. It's quite high. Well, it's also because it's so difficult to become Swiss citizen. This is a political decision. But I think you can also, and you should be able to live in our country, also not being a Swiss citizen, but have the possibility to really integrate in society and to be a part of this society. I think people will be fascinated listening to this because, as you said, it's a challenge of our time in nations all over the world. And I don't think that Madame Samaruka has a, a three-point plan. But if you look at maybe mistakes that are made elsewhere or look back at your term in that position, are there sort of three basics? There's three non-negotiables that you think, if we're going to bring people on board, what has to happen? Are there things that you think that at a cantal level, but also prescribed from a federal level, that has made things work? I think one thing is really that we, we do not want to leave anybody behind. This is really something, and it's not only concerning migration, but it's also, I mean, we have good schools also in the small villages. You do not go to a private school because public school is not, not really for, for your child. So I think this is something we invest really much because we think that there's nobody to be left behind and we want that these public services are there for everybody and everybody can pay them. We do that all over the country. Of course, that costs a lot. But yet not so many discussions. But it's very clear when I'm living in Zurich, I'm living in Bern. It's not that for me it's okay for Bern. It's No, also in a small village, in a small canton, I care about them because I know if you want to be one country, then we, we have to do good public services for everybody. I mean, also what I mentioned as a minority, it's never the question, why should we concern about the Ticino? They speak a language we do not understand. So they are over the Gotthard and no, they are part of our country. So it's very evident. I mean, we have also our direct democracy where people can have a referendum, uh, can go to, to, to vote four times a year. One thing I should say, if we speak about democracy and direct democracy, we should not forget that Switzerland 50 years ago was not a democracy. Women could not vote. We should never forget that. And we can still, still feel it today. I mean, Switzerland is, is very good in many things on a juridical yeah. Yeah. sense. Women, of course, they have exactly the same rights as men. But in the society, you can still see that uh, only 50 years. This is why, for example, I, I was fighting as Minister of Justice for uh, equal salaries, which is still not uh, usual. Many times it's not achieved. You get less money in Switzerland only because you are a woman. So this is something I, I couldn't really not stand, <laughs> not accept and uh, I think we changed that by making or asking transparency. I think direct democracy is also a part that people can really participate. And we have this knowledge and that people are maybe more engaged, not only politically, but also in associations. We have a, a strong civil society 
And strong civil society is, I think I, I saw that in many other countries, when they have a transition from dictator or authority state to more de democracy, the stronger they have a civil society, the easier it is to, to bring these democratic structures. And I think you have to work for that because also in our country, I mean, it's not comfortable to have civil societies critical But I think there we have a good culture of, of uh, accepting that civil society, critical organizations, criticizing government is something which makes part of our political system. Madame Sommeruga, do you think that the world pays enough attention to Switzerland? Because sometimes you can watch or listen to a broadcast or you can read something in a newspaper. Oh, in Switzerland, they're doing fine because it's home to so many institutions. There's so much money there. And you see that it's occasionally sort of dismissed. It's pushed to the side. Everyone knows it is, of course, home to the UN and home to the IOC and, and so many organizations here. Would you like to see Switzerland play a bigger role? I mean, we could be talking about the Security Council or, or certainly other channels as well. Well, I think sometimes maybe there are pictures, but this is for every country there are pictures or images of Switzerland. I think everything is easy and uh, For me, it's important to show how you have to engage. And what we're talking about now today, we are talking about today this cohesion, this integration. This is really, this is something you have to you have to invest, to be engaged. That's also to have a government with all these four different parties. That means every week in our sessions of the federal council, it's not that compromise is not. It comes by itself. Political stability, which we are also a little bit boring, if you want. But this is hard work. This is really hard work. So if we are a model with that for other countries, I don't know. But I think just to say Switzerland is, has a big political stability, it's not enough. It's also to, to see what's behind. But you mentioned the Security Council, where Switzerland is a candidate for 2023 and four, And... Just to say that I think if you look at it from an interior point of view, it's a huge step because Switzerland, I mean, we had so many years. We had the UN in Geneva, but we were not the whole member of, of, of UN only since 2002. And we had to try several times until people really saw that where is the need also and why we should and why we can be part of this United Nations. And now to be a candidate is a huge way and, and I'm very glad about that because that means that our country wants to take more responsibility to expose also to really, really I mean you have to show you and to show your positions and at the same time I'm, I think that the, the way the Switzerland, of, the way of dialogue the way of inclusion, the way of searching solutions, approaching each other be pragmatic and this view of, of minorities We can bring that in the Security Council, and we will do it. And I'm very glad about that. Well, you have to be elected first. <laughs> <laughs> Madam President, thank you very, very much. My thanks to the President of the Swiss Federal Council, Simonetta Samaruga, for joining us for this week's episode of The Chiefs. To read the interview in full and other big interviews from Switzerland with figures such as the Head of Security Policy, the Mayor of Lausanne, and many more, head to monocle.com to purchase our latest edition. This episode of The Chiefs was produced and researched by Paige Reynolds and Carlos Silberschmidt and edited by Jack Jewers. I'm Tyler Brule back in Zurich. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.